Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. Thank you once again for joining me, and I hope that as we discuss these items on our agenda today, that you will be encouraged and challenged to think through these important theological issues and how they relate to your life. Today, we're going to be concluding our series on the creation ordinances. It's taken a bit of a while to get to this point, but here we are. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, Hopefully you are too, uh, because I have some other good content that I'm planning to Uh, produce over the next few months. And I'm looking forward to getting into some of that as well. So without further ado, let's take a look here at how the rest ordinance is used in the New Testament. And what does this mean for us as Christians? And I think, you know, as we have looked at all of these creation ordinances, we see that God designed them for all of humanity for all time. They weren't just for the Jews. They weren't just for Christians. They weren't just for God's chosen people. They are something that is to be a blessing to all people, to all time. And I think when we come to the rest ordinance in the church age, okay, so the rest ordinance in the New Testament, that is one of the most confused areas or issues that um, people have tried to wrestle with and understand. It's been misapplied a lot. And so let's try to provide some clarity on how we practice this day of rest in the church age. All right, by way of reminder, let's go back and remember why God established this day of rest. It was established in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, as a pattern by God for man to follow. It is a pattern. It is a prescriptive pattern. So it is prescribed to us what we are supposed to do. We are supposed to work six days and rest one day. And this is, again, something that was established about 4,500 years prior to the Mosaic Law Covenant. Now, as we looked at last week, in the Mosaic Law Covenant, the Sabbath specifically was established as a holy day for Israel. And so the Sabbath for Israel was a moral obligation. Observing the Sabbath was a moral obligation. Why? Because God said it was. He enshrined it into their law. And he says for them that the Sabbath was a sign and a covenant. And we talked about how it was a sign and a covenant in the last episode. So if you need a refresher, just go back and listen to that. Now, I want you to reason with me for just a moment. Follow this logic here. The Sabbath, as given to Israel in the Ten Commandments, was part of the Mosaic Law Covenant. And that Mosaic Law Covenant was done away with when Jesus was crucified on the cross. All right, what do we mean done away with? Does it mean null and void? Well, in the sense that It's something that we must follow in order to have a right relationship with God. Yes, it is null and void because Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. It's not null and void, however, in that it provides an example and a testimony for us 
and that the people of God has have always known the law of God and had a responsibility to believe the promises of God in order to be saved. So in one sense, the Mosaic Law Covenant is no longer active in producing salvation. It, it can point you to Christ because it convicts you of sin, but it is not active in how we relate to God, okay? Let me give you some verses that describe our relationship to the law and how it functions in the lives of believers in the church age. All right, so if we go to Galatians, okay, we go to Galatians chapter uh, chapter 3. We look at this, Galatians chapter 3, um, verse 11. No one is justified by the law before God, for it is evident that the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. So in other words, it's not by practicing the, the commands of the law that got you in a right relationship with God. It was the faith that was produced by the moral laws explained in the law, by the um, truths that were found out about God in the law, by the promises made in the law, those are what led you to faith in God. Or those are, I'm sorry, what you had to have faith in in order to have a right relationship with God. Now, here's why I say that that is no longer in effect for Christians. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So what do we, what do we conclude from this? We conclude that the law as given to Israel is not in effect for believers. Does that mean that believers live uh, without any law, without any moral code? No, of course not. There are all kinds of moral codes and moral laws given to believers in the New Testament, in the epistles, in the Gospels, uh, in the book of the Revelation. And what we do find is that the specific law, the Mosaic law, as it related to the Jews, is not given to the church. And it is expressly commanded that the church does not need to obey all the aspects of the Old Testament law. In fact, that's Paul's entire premise in the book of Galatians. Look, you've been set free from the law. Stop going back and trying to live by the law. Again, this doesn't negate any moral commands that are given to the church by the writers of the New Testament. But what it does do is it helps us to understand the church's relationship to the Sabbath day in particular. That's why I spend a little bit of time talking about this. If we want to know how to utilize the rest ordinance in the New Testament, we can't go back to the Mosaic Law to understand how to use the rest, uh, rest ordinance. We need to go back to the ordinance itself in Genesis chapter 2 and understand that in Genesis 2, God gave us a prescription that we work six days and rest one day. But in the New Testament era, in the church age, that one day of rest doesn't have to be the seventh day. 
It could be the first day. And in fact, that's what many Christians choose to do. Many Christians choose to take their rest day on the first day of the week because that's the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. Obviously, the first day of the week is Sunday. And so many Christians are resting on the first day of the week, not on the seventh day. So it's automatically a change from what Israel had to do. Israel rested on the seventh day of the week. That's Saturday. There are still some groups who are what we would call Sabbatarians, and they rest on the seventh day. Seventh day Adventists are some of those, or is, is one example of one of those groups. Their rest day is on Saturday because they still hold to the fact that you need to obey the Ten Commandments, and that includes resting on the Sabbath, which is the seventh day. Noticeably, in the New Testament, there is no command for the church to uh, rest specifically on the Sabbath day, the seventh day, and there is no mention of the fact that the Sabbath day is a sign or a covenant to the church. That's not mentioned at all in the New Testament. What is mentioned is that the church needs to assemble together for worship, for fellowship, for hearing the preaching, for reading of Scripture, for public prayer, and to practice the ordinances, and the church should do this regularly on a weekly basis, and those who do not gather with the church are guilty of violating the command to assemble together with the saints found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. All of this is to communicate to you that the Sabbath day is not in effect for the church, but the day of rest still is in effect for the church. Nothing in the New Testament overrides Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We need to be able to practice a Sabbath day of rest. We need to build into our schedule a rest day. Um, again, I just, I just said Sabbath day of rest. It's really hard to get that terminology like out of your mind, but it is a, it is a rest day, not the Sabbath day. The rest day could be on Tuesday, for all I care. It could be on Friday. It could be Monday. It could be Sunday. And for a lot of people, it is Sunday. So when we look at this big picture, what, what do we glean from this? What, what maybe conclusions can we draw? Well, first of all, the rest day, the rest principle has been consistent in God's dealings with mankind. He expected it prior to the law of Moses he expected it during the law of Moses, and for Israel, it was a special sign and covenant. And then after the law of Moses was done away with by Christ's death on the cross, uh, God expects his people to gather together one day of week and to still honor that day of rest. Now, this brings us to some interesting um, discussions, okay? What should Christians do then when it comes to looking at a rest day? What day should that be? Well, as I've already mentioned, most Christians in the United States, in Western Europe and Western cultures, observe Sunday as the day of rest, and they do so because Sunday is the day that Christ rose from the dead. But in the strictest sense, Sunday is not the Sabbath. So we can't just say it's a, it's a one-for-one uh, transfer, okay? 
Sunday is the first day of the week, while the Sabbath is the seventh day of the week. And I think that when we transfer these Mosaic law code rules from Israel to the church, it blurs the distinction and confuses the distinction between Israel and the church. If you are a Jew, if you are a practicing Jew, if you are obeying the law of Moses, the Torah, you will worship and rest on Saturday. And you will follow the practice of the Jews from all of history. And what that will be is you start your Sabbath day on Friday evening when the sun goes down, and it goes all the way through the next day until Saturday evening when the sun goes down. That's your Sabbath day. That's your Sabbath rest. We don't do that as Christians. And so by by just kind of casually saying, well, you know, uh, we're commanded to rest on the, the fourth commandment says we're to rest on the Sabbath day. And so Sunday's our day of rest. We don't practice that in the way that the Jews originally practiced that. We don't honor that command to the strictest sense that the Jews honor that command. Now, we want to be mindful that the Jews perverted the command of the Sabbath. You know, Jesus tweaked the Pharisees on multiple occasions by healing people on the Sabbath, by having his disciples pick grain from the field they were walking through and eat it on the Sabbath. And Jesus made the point to the Pharisees that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And by making this point, Jesus is saying, look, the Sabbath is to provide opportunity for rest and refreshment. And you have made the rules of the Sabbath so laborious that it's no longer restful or refreshing. That was the problem that the Pharisees did. They, they idolized the rest day. They made the rest day more than what it was supposed to be. And Jesus had to correct them on a number of occasions. So when Jesus corrected them, was he indicating in some way that the Sabbath was unimportant? Or that, you know, it could be broken without consequence? No, Jesus was not saying that at all. Of course, Jesus would never advocate for violating God's law. Jesus always advocated for correctly interpreting and correctly applying God's law. That was, you know, one of the main points in the Sermon on the Mount. You say this, but God's law says this, and here's how God wants you to actually apply it. So when we come to the idea of the Sabbath versus Sunday and thinking about what Christians should observe, as Christians, we don't apply um, or we don't observe the Sabbath in the same way that the Jews did. We do observe Sunday as a day of rest in the Western in Western cultures. However, it doesn't have to be that the church only meets on Sunday in order to obey the rest principle. Here, here's some here, here's some some food for thought. Your pastor, he does not have Sunday as a day of rest. Why? Because he's probably waking up early in the morning to review his message. He's spending time in prayer. He is mentally thinking about the the message that he's going to bring before God's people. Then he's going to preach that message. Some pastors preach two morning services. Some preach a morning service and an evening service. Some pastors teach Sunday school and preach on a Sunday morning. 
Um, and that is exhausting, difficult work. It is not a rest day. And I'm not saying that just because I'm a pastor and I know the, the difficulty of the work. I'm saying it because pastors have been charged with a task to feed God's sheep, to care for God's flock. And part of that care is working on the day when everybody else is resting and worshiping. So if you're a minister, if you're a minister of the Word, if you're a pastor, uh, if you work on Sunday, you need to figure out another day of the week to take the rest day in order to observe the principle that God has given. I like what Steve Lawson says best. Sundays are the King's Day. Monday is the Queen's Day. And he encourages pastors to take Monday off to be the Queen's Day so that you're at home. Maybe you're doing some of the chores and things that your wife uh, wants you to do, and you're spending time with your family on Mondays, or maybe taking some time to do something relaxing that's not work on a Monday. Now, why not Saturday? Why, why not Saturday? Well, sometimes you can take Saturdays off, but uh, to be quite honest and, and quite transparent, Saturdays, even though they are filled with activities that don't necessarily involve sermon prep, the sermon is always on your mind. And in fact, there are many Saturdays where um, pastors are doing work on their sermons. They are working through cutting, editing, refining the sermon so that it's ready to go for God's people on Monday. So because the, the event of preaching is on your mind, Saturday is not exactly the greatest rest day for many pastors. Monday which is the furthest day away from your next um, opportunity to preach or your next responsibility to preach. Monday is a great rest day. So if you're a pastor, maybe you think about having Monday as a rest day. What if you were a Christian who lived in a country where the gospel is banned and there is no freedom of religion or freedom to worship? You might be like the Chinese church or the church, uh, un the underground church in other areas of the world and you may decide to alter your rest days, alter your days of worship. Maybe some days you can sync it up on a Sunday. Maybe some days it has to be a Thursday. Maybe some days it has to be any other day of the week. And you rotate it that way so that you can avoid the detection of state authorities who would want to prevent you from worshiping God. I would say that that's a perfectly legitimate uh, use of the rest day, if you're able to structure it that way. The church is not commanded to meet only on Sunday, the first day of the week. The command for the church is for believers to meet with the saints, to gather together, and it's a weekly gathering. Now, some other questions that have come up uh, concerning the rest ordinance and the church— you know, what if I work second shift or third shift and my company wants me to work in the afternoon or evening on Sunday? Well, that may, that may be something where you go to worship in the morning and then you begin your job later that day. I don't view that personally as violating the rest day. Somebody uh, may feel differently about that. Somebody may um, be bothered by that in their conscience. And for that person, I would say, you know, don't do that if that bothers your conscience. But for the person who's working third shift or second shift or something like that, and they have to go into work on a Sunday afternoon after the worship service, that person 
should maybe seek to find another day where they can complete an entire day of rest. All right. So I, I did work third shift for um, a summer uh, in between high school and college. And I would go to worship in the morning. I would come home, take a nap in the afternoon, and then I would get up and go into work about 8, 30, 9 o'clock, something like that. And uh, then I would work, you know, it, it was Sunday night. I would work Sunday night and I would get done on Thursday. So I would have Friday and Saturday as my days off. And because most of the work that's done in the Western world is a five-day-a-week work week, you have the freedom to take another day of rest off. What I think is problematic is when believers choose to work instead of worshiping. Now, it may happen occasionally. It may happen occasionally where you get scheduled to work um, one Sunday a month or on holidays that would interrupt a worship service. And I know that this happens for believers who work in the healthcare field a lot. It happens for believers who maybe work in um, like public services, like fire departments or police departments. And so you're missing like one Sunday a month because you have to work a weekend. I would say that's legitimate. Uh, to, to miss one Sunday a month. I would say that's something you should go and talk to your pastor about and help them to understand your position and your situation. And I, I think that most would be accommodating to that. What I don't think is good is if you purposefully choose to work the weekend because it's a higher pay rate, and then you are purposefully missing the weekly gathering of the saints. That's problematic. You may say, well, I get what rest days on Tuesday or Thursday or some other day during the week. Uh, but that's not the same as being able to take a day to worship with the saints. Part of the rest day, remember, part of the rest day is to be refreshed in your spirit. And to be refreshed in your spirit is um, comes through worshiping God with God's people. There's fellowship that must occur, and that must um, help us as we grow in Christ-likeness. That's fellowship that helps keep us accountable. That fellowship helps us to draw near to God when we feel alone and far away. So the rest ordinance in the New Testament, just to sum this up for you, it is a command for New Testament believers to practice the rest ordinance, but not in the same way that Israel had to practice the rest ordinance of the Sabbath. I can't think of a particular verse in the New Testament that says we have to rest on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. There is a verse that says we don't forsake the assembling of the saints, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. But to understand the reason why we should continue to practice the rest ordinance, we go all the way back to Genesis and God's original intent. God said, work six days and rest for one. And the purpose of this is for um, rest, obviously, to be refreshed in your body and also for worship, that you might be refreshed in your soul. Well, I hope that this helps to provide clarity on how to utilize and understand the rest ordinance in the New, in the New Testament. I think that you know there are some great discussion opportunities that could come out of this particular um, study. And, you know, one thing that we, we didn't mention that I should probably just tag on here at the very end is every Christian has a conscience before God that they should not violate. And for some, 
working on a Sunday, even if it's after the worship service, might violate their conscience. But for others, that is not a violation of the conscience. Romans chapter 14 uh, talks a lot about the holy days that you have and considering them as holy unto the Lord or, you know, as just any other day. And so a lot of this that we have questions about, I think, comes down to personal choice and liberty. What do I have the liberty to do that doesn't violate my conscience? And that's how I would instruct you to apply this. What liberty do I have to apply these truths, all right, to apply this principle without violating my conscience and while also conforming to the command to gather together with the saints? Those are the things that we should take into consideration when we look at the importance of the rest ordinance and the command to practice the rest ordinance in the New Testament era. All right, well, I hope this has blessed you and given you something to really think about. May you do well to put these things into practice. God bless.